Okay, good evening. Tonight's cheer is sponsored in honor of a Rafua Shalema for Sharona Ahava Bas Esther Zelda. Baruch Hashem, she's making progress in the right direction. This year, the learning, the continued philos, should be a schus for a Rafua Shalema Bakorov Mamish. Topic this evening is reaching in and reaching out, the secret of changing the world. The truth is, this is somewhat of a conclusion to the last two shirim we've had together. If you weren't there for the previous two, I'm sure you'll understand this. It could stand alone. But what we basically set up was a real conflict, a tension. Tension between, on one hand, the necessity of staying sheltered, staying isolated to some degree, not being influenced by all of the outside hashpa. And then on the other hand, we spoke about last week, the mandate, the mission, the role of Klal Yisrael, that we're here to be in Or Legoyim, Mamleches Kohanim Vegoy Kodosh, Mamleches Kohanim, a kingdom of priests, the Svorno told us, meant to be able to teach all of humanity to come together as one and call out in the name of God. So how do we stay sheltered and protect ourselves from negative influences, but at the same time fulfill our role as an or legoyim uplifting the world around us? So what I'd like to do this evening is analyze the concept of separation. Separation can cause animosity and can further resentment, or potentially it could actually engender a healthy respect and could build admiration. So I'll give you two extreme examples. I was actually speaking uh, two weeks ago my aunt and uncle were here for a Shabbos. Uncle Steve and Aunt Cheryl. Aunt Cheryl grew up in Augusta, Georgia. And she was there in the 1950s when there was real segregation. And I was asking her about it actually at the Shabbos table. And it was incredible to hear a firsthand eyewitness testimony to how America was, what was considered normal, what was considered acceptable. She would go on the bus all the time and it was just like a way of life. White people in front, black people in back, different water fountains, different bathrooms. That separation is obviously only building animosity and negativity because it's based on prejudice. If we're separating ourselves from others because we're looking down on them, that we feel we're better, we're more entitled, so obviously that kind of dynamic is not going to promote brotherly love. On the other hand, sometimes separation, if it's done in a healthy measure, can enhance your role as either a teacher or one trying to influence others. The example of this would be if you have a high school Rebbe. High school Rebbe is very close with his class 
and they joke together and they laugh and they're also serious and they hopefully develop a real Kesher Shel Kayama. Sometimes they'll play ball together. The question is how far can the Rebbe go to be friendly with the Talmidim? And this is a question that comes up in educational settings. And a lot depends on personality of the Rebbe, personality of the students, your culture in which you live. I think we all agree though, once the kids are outside in the mud playing tackle football, at that point, it could be getting down and dirty with the boys might chip away at the healthy reverence they should have for their Rebbe. Right? There's always that balance. So separation can either breed more animosity, or if it's done in the right way, in the right measure, it can increase respect and even reverence. Let's look at two Rambams together. The first Rambam speaks about the overall conduct, the behavior, and even the dress of a Jewish person. Eliyah Yisrael Muvdal Mehem. We should be separate, that's okay. V'yadu'a b'malbusho u'bishar masav. And I should be recognized as a Jew. I'm not embarrassed, I'm not timid, I'm not afraid to show the world that yes, I'm Jewish and I'm proud. But I should separate myself. K'moshu muvdal mehen Just like I have a very different internal world view, my deos, my perspective on life, is very different. The way I act and conduct myself and, and relate to people should also be different. This is what Hashem tells us in the Torah. I have separated you from the rest of the nations. Then the Rambam says in Mishnah Torah, in Yesod HaTorah, this is uh, source number two, here he's speaking about the conduct of a Talmud Chacham. How does the, the wise man conduct himself? So he says, you should know that Kiddush Hashem is not just going out and trying to convert the world. That's really not so much in a repertoire like we spoke about last week. However, im al atzmo. If a person is, is careful with himself, and he speaks pleasantly to every human being. And I'm able to, to not just you know, be in my own little world and speak to you from an outsider, but I could climb into your mind as well and understand where you're coming from. And I greet you with a smile. There, there's this simcha sachayim that's radiating. Venelov mehem ve'eno olvim. And if for some reason you disrespect me, I don't have to get you back. I don't have to have a tit for tat. It's okay. Mechabed lehen ve'afidu lemaklin lo. I'm able to give respect even to those people that might slight me. He's not saying being a pushover. Right? The Gemara tells us in Yuma, any Torah scholar that can't take revenge like a snake is not really a Talmud Chacham. What that means is beyond the scope of this discussion. But clearly, the Rambam's not saying being a pushover. What he is saying is be a mensch. 
Velo yerit tamid ela osik b'torah atuf b'tzitzis muchdar b'tfilin. However, even though you're instructed to be ma'uravim habrios, to get along with people and to be friendly, and to have empathy, to understand where they're coming from, but you don't always have to be mingling and socializing with others. What should you be doing if you're a Talmud Chacham? You should be learning Torah, wearing your talis and tefillin. But everything you do should always be a little bit beyond the letter of the law. And here's an interesting caveat. But stay normal. Right? Don't go so far to the extreme that, that you become someone who, who can't relate to the world around them. What happens when you live a life following these basic guidelines for many years, says the Rambam. People start speaking about you in a positive way. They know that you don't have any agenda, you're not trying to control them, you're not trying to get them to do something for your own benefit. You're just there, you're accepting, you respect them, you love them. So people love you, and they actually have a taiva. They, they have this desire to, to try to emulate you. This is Kiddush Hashem. You want to know what it means to sanctify God? The Rambam seems to be telling us it's not about taking a proactive approach in going out there with banners and, and, and standing on a soapbox trying to convert the world. This is not the way of Jews. What is the Kiddush Hashem that we're trying to accomplish? It's in how we conduct ourselves, and how we relate to others, and how we communicate, and how we respect, and how we love. Does that mean we're not proactive in Kiddush Hashem? To the contrary. The Rambam's teaching us you need to be proactive in being Mekade Shem Shemayim. But the way that we're proactive is in a passive manner. We proactively try to inspire others by, by being as genuine and real and loving as possible. Not by going out and teaching directly. The teaching that, 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 that radiates from the Yiddish Neshama is a teaching that happens indirectly. We're commanded to uplift and teach humanity. How do we do that? Through proactively being by doing what we do well and doing it with authenticity. So in a sense, what's emerging from this Rambam is an interesting middle ground. Being separate and, and somewhat sheltered is not by definition a conflict to accomplishing the role of an orlegoyim. It's possible to fulfill both of those very necessary missions. I'm, I'm protecting myself from the negative influences from the outside world, but at the same time, I feel a sense of responsibility to have a positive impact on others. I'm proactively passive in my Kiddush Hashem. Am I making any sense? Yes. Kind of. Okay. But I want to take this one step deeper. And this is really where we could expand our, 
our appreciation of what being Mekadeh Shem Shemayim actually is. The most powerful expression of Kiddush Hashem can be created within the confines of one's private setting. Meaning to say that we, we generally think of Kiddush Hashem along the lines of the Rambam, when you smile, when you say good morning, and this is true to Jews and to non-Jews, when you act like a mensch, then you're sanctifying God's name, you're acting as a role model for the world, and that's true, but there's something much deeper. What we do and who we become, even when no one's looking, can generate the most transformative Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem that's done in private. Now that sounds counterintuitive. Kiddush Hashem means we're sanctifying God's name. We're testifying to the reality of Hashem who's in control of the universe. How can I do that? Bechadre chadarim in the privacy of my own home. So we read the story of Yosef. Yosef, the greatest challenge of his life was trying to withstand the Nisoyon of the wife of Potiphar. The way the Gemara describes what he did, let's take a look together. <clears throat> the way the Gemara describes what Yosef did, this is actually on page uh, three, number five. Yosef Shekide Shem Shemayim Beseser. He sanctified God's name in private. That's why he was Zoha to the extra letter Hey in his name, in Tehillim. We have a paragraph of Tehillim that we say where there's an added Hey to the name of Yosef. Hey coming from the Shem Hashem. Why was he Zoha to that extra letter? Because he was Mikade Shem Shemayim Beseser. In private, he was Mekade Shem Shemaim. Rashi explains, he was together in seclusion with the wife of Potiphar, and nobody else was around. And we know according to one opinion in the Gemara, he put himself in that situation because he couldn't stand the challenge any longer. He was at a point of total despair. He was about to give up and give in. But by, by finding that strength to hold himself back, he sanctified God's name, Besaser, in private. And the Rambam writes this as well. The Rambam says, Koha Poresh Me'avera O Osa Mitzvah, anyone who's able to hold him or herself back from doing an Avera, or we could push ourselves to do something, to be Makaima Mitzvah, not for any other reason. Not because people are going to see me, not for external validation, not for recognition. I'm only doing it because of my awareness of Hashem. I want to do this or I want to stay away from this because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is real. If a person engages in the Vodas Hashem with that mindset, just like Yosef HaTzadik, Horeze Mekadesh as Hashem, he's sanctifying God's name. So we see there's something about Kiddush Hashem that takes place when no one's looking. So I want to explore briefly together what exactly is that. And I think by getting more of a clarity 
on this notion of a private Kiddush Hashem that will allow us to understand this tension of staying private, staying sheltered, but at the same time fully embracing the role of being an Or Lagoyim. There are, there are a few psukim in Parshas Veschanan that speak about how the world is going to view us when we come through as a nation. You'll guard the Torah, you'll do the mitzvos. This is your wisdom in the eyes of the nation. The non-Jews are going to hear about all of your chukim, and chukim we know refers to the mitzvos that are not that are not logical. So everyone's going to see us. They're going to hear about our illogical mitzvos. And what are they going to say? Wow! What an amazing, wise, understanding nation. They're doing all these incredible things, including chukim. One caveat. Just be very careful, says the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Don't forget what you saw. Don't forget what you saw at Har Sinai. So if you do things well, then the whole world will be standing in awe of you and saying, wow, what a wise, understanding nation. And look at these chukim. Look at these mitzvahs that don't make any sense to any human being, but they're going to be enamored by them. They're going to stand in awe even of the chukim. Just make sure you don't forget. Don't forget what? So look at Rashi. This is a very troubling Rashi. Rashi says... That when you don't forget the mitzvos, and you do them in truth, you do them in the right way, only then, then they're going to look at us with a sense of admiration and respect. However, but if you mess them up, based on forgetting how to do them, then they're going to view you as fools. So this is a very difficult Rashi. Right, think of the following scenario. You have someone on Sukkot, walks into shul, takes his lulav and esrog, totally forgets exactly, does the lulav go in the right hand, the left hand, how do I shake it? What direction I'm supposed to hold it down when making the bracha up? I totally forgot everything. No one's there to, to give him a little bit of an insight. So he does lulav and esrog backwards. What are all the other nations going to say? Nothing! Nobody cares. Nobody's noticing. No one's in trouble with you as you're botching up the mitzvah of lulav and esrog. Right, so this whole thing is so puzzling. Why do we care what they're going to say anyway? Why do we have this like inferiority complex? What, what God's telling us if you do the mitzvahs correctly, then everyone's going to view you with this admiration. Why do we care? 
Well, according to what we've established last time, it makes a lot of sense. It's not that I want you to like us just so I could feel good about myself or just so there won't be as much anti-Semitism. There's going to be anti-Semitism anyway. The goal, though, is that if you could be inspired by us, that means that we're doing our, our job as a nation. We're uplifting humanity. I want to be an Orlegoim, so hearing that, hey, if we do these mitzvot well, then they're going to stand in awe of what we're doing. That means we're accomplishing our mission. I want to accomplish our mission. But just don't mess it up. Don't forget how to do the mitzvah. So I guess there's two things here that are bothering me that I want to try to address. First of all, is it true that the rest of the world looks at our mitzvot, the, the illogical mitzvot, and says, wow, these are beautiful. I wish I had the prohibition against wearing woolen linen. <laughs> then, then maybe I'd be a happy person, right? I wish I wasn't allowed to go to In-N-Out Burger and get the cheeseburger with the sautéed onions and the toasted bun. <laughs> I wish I had that restriction. In-N-Out Burger, for those of you who don't know, that's on the West Coast. Best hamburger in the world. Now, but more than something that, that crashes the ears in our own experience, Rashi himself tells us, back in Parshish Chukas, that the Satan and the Umo Sa'ola monen es Yisroel, they mock, they make fun of the Jewish people for the chukim, for the illogical mitzvos. And what do they tell us? Maha mitzvah matam yeshba. What are you doing? You are so strange. If that voice is coming from the guy driving his car down Spanish River, or if that voice is that nagging voice in the back of your head, where you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? Matam yeshba. What's clear, though, is that this is not something that's respected in the outside world. So my problem, the first problem is, how can you tell us that when we're doing mitzvot well, then everyone stands in awe, even of the chukim? They make fun of the chukim. And the second problem is, what does it mean to do the mitzvot without forgetting, without botching it up? Nobody knows, nobody cares how I'm doing my mitzvah. Why does that have any impact on you, how you, you, how you view me? interesting. This is a story I read many years ago. By now, I've seen it in a few places. I think it's probably somewhat well-known. But Rabbi Beryl Wein Shlita, he said over that he had a conversation with the, at the time, who was the editor of the Detroit Free Press. And they were schmoozing about different things in politics. And the editor told Rabbi Wein, you should know, that whenever an article crosses my desk that has anything even slightly anti-Jewish or anti-Israel, I nix it. I don't allow anything in my newspaper that says anything bad about the Jews or against Israel. This guy's last name was O'Neill. So Brian was a little bit taken aback. 
he thought maybe he was a religious Christian and therefore, you know, he wanted uh, only the, the benefit of Israel. But the guy told him his story. He said, my mother was an immigrant from Ireland, Mary. She came here to the United States when she was 18 years old. The first job she got was working in Detroit as a maid in the house of a very wealthy Orthodox family. This family was uh, influential in their community. The father was actually the president of the Orthodox shul. It was getting cold in Detroit in the winter. This was her first winter season in America. And the family was going away for a couple of weeks to Florida. They left her with a few dollars. And this is going back to the early 1900s. And they just said, please take care of the house. We're coming back the, uh, the evening of December 24th. So she's, uh, you know, minding her own business, taking care of the house, all is going well, but she realizes they're not getting back until Christmas Eve. They're not gonna have time to put up all the lights and to get a Christmas tree and to really do it right. And I have so much gratitude for this family, everything they've done for me. I wanna make sure when they come home, I'm going to surprise them. So she spent every dollar she had not on herself, but it, she went out, bought a beautiful tree and ornaments and lights, and she mamish decked out the whole house. So you could imagine the eve, December 24th, driving in, pulling into the driveway, and you see your whole house mamish in the middle of a Frum neighborhood, and you're the president of the shul, is decked out with Christmas lights. And the, the family is in shock. They walk inside, and they see Mary. Welcome home! Merry Christmas! <laughs> Expecting, you know, this uh, big thunderous applause. Thank you so much. The, uh, the father of the house said, can I just speak with you for a moment? He called her into his office, and he takes out of his pocket a crisp $100 bill. In the early 1900s, that was significant. He said, I just want to tell you that it, you know, it happens to be as Jews, we don't celebrate Christmas, but this is probably the most beautiful thing that anyone has ever done for me in my life. I want to give this to you as a token of appreciation. So the editor of the, of the Detroit Free Press, he basically told Rabbi Wine, ever since my mother's experience with this Orthodox family, we've had a very strong connection with Jews and with Israel. Now, that's a classic Kiddush Hashem story in the sense that by being a mensch, by going the extra mile, okay, we're benefiting from it. But that's not the point. The point is not that Baruch Hashem, they never placed an anti-Israel article in their newspaper. The point that I'd like to ponder is if you question, how did the father have the composure, have the, the, the clarity of mind, not to get upset, and to actually really put yourself in her head and, and, and feel grateful? That doesn't come from pretending to be a mensch. That comes from the reality of actually being a genuine 
kind and caring human being. This is the idea of being Mekadesh Shem Shemayim Beseser, sanctifying God's name in private. The what, the what I do and the how I do it and, 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 and the real commitment and authenticity that I have when nobody's looking, right? What I do and the person I become, so that's able to generate real Kedusha. The famous story with Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky that the nuns came to his funeral and when they were asked, how did you know the great rabbi? They said, well, every morning he would smile at us and he would say, good morning. But I guarantee you, their feelings of, of connection towards Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky were not just because he had a nice smile and he said good morning, but it was something deeper they tapped into. It was the mensch, it was the gavre, it was the human being that he transformed himself into. Besacer, when no one's looking, that has the greatest impact when you actually do interact with others. Listen to the words of the Rebbeinu Yonah. The Rebbeinu Yonah, the Shari Tshuva, is the source number eight. He writes, Ki ikr Hashem yizborach the main purpose why Hashem gave us this unique Kedusha through the Torah and mitzvos, and separated us to be a nation, is in order to sanctify, meaning to make humanity aware and uplift the presence of Hashem. If our job is to go there, and, and infuse Kedusha in the world, then it's only appropriate that we ourselves should be holy. And the example he gives is just like the kalim that were used, the vessels that were used in the Beis HaMikdash. They had a status of Kedusha. The Jewish people, Kedishonu b'mitzvosav, were sanctified through the mitzvos, were uplifted through everything we do in the private sphere in order to bring that reality to life and uplift others around us. Right, so really there, there are two realms here when we speak about Kiddush Hashem. In the public realm, what will inspire somebody who doesn't know me is not necessarily what I'm doing, but who I am. And if that's through a direct interaction, I'm saying thank you, I'm smiling, because I do feel that responsibility not just for Achenu Beis Yisrael, for my fellow Jew, but I feel it for all of mankind, then that's great. But sometimes that, that influence can come even from a distance. If I've elevated myself in the private sphere, then just that lofty, dignified essence of a human being, that could also be moving. That's one realm of Kiddush Shem Shemayim. The second realm is something even deeper, which is even if you never see me, the idea of, of bringing the reality of God into this world, of revealing godliness, doesn't have to be with any exposure to the public whatsoever. When you have Rav Chaim Kanievsky, who is sitting in his little room in Bnei Brak, no one watching him right now, learning Baha's mother for, for, for eight hours straight, 
That's also generating Kiddush Hashem. That's revealing godliness in the world. That also has an impact on humanity. That's more indirect. So it comes out something very, very intriguing and somewhat counterintuitive. We had this tension, we had this conflict. How can we stay protected from all of the negative influences and at the same time be Mekadeh Shem Shemai and be a Orlegoy and be the, the Adim testifying to Hashem's reality? How do we do both of those very, very difficult responsibilities? The answer is they're not a contradiction. Mamleches Kohanim, to actually be a teacher, to be a role model, you need to be a Goy Kadosh. You need to have that healthy separation. Not in a way that's creating resentment and animosity. There's a separation, though, because I appreciate my role, I appreciate what I'm here to accomplish. When the Torah tells us that by you doing the mitzvot well, and the way Rashi says it, that the language of Rashi is so powerful, you don't forget them, but you do them in their truth. Rashi is not talking about making sure to get the nuances of the halacha in this particular mitzvah. That's obviously important as well. But doing the mitzvahs, meaning engaging in our Torah lifestyle, alamitosam in truth, means that I'm genuine, that I'm sincere, that I'm, I'm doing this to really connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to uplift others. Then people will look at me and they'll say, wow, what an elevated, inspiring nation. And look at those chukim. It's true, if they look at the chukim by themselves without looking at the people who are representing a Kaddish Baruch Hu, yeah, that's a silly thing. People are going to make fun of that. Shatniz, Basar Bechalav, Lulav and Esrog, that doesn't make any sense. That's somewhat silly. But if we're producing, if we're coming through, and we're standing strong as the Am HaNivchar, people who are uplifted and who care about others. So if I respect you, then everything you do has a different feel. I'll give you an example. At the airport, you're sitting there waiting for a flight, and you have parents who are totally oblivious to their children. Right? The kids are running around, four of them are just on their Nintendo Switch for hours, and the other ones are jumping on people's heads and causing a whole scene. The parrots are out to lunch. And then before you board the flight, the mother comes over to you and says, you should know, I, just, I saw you and your family sitting here. I wanted to share something that I find very meaningful. One very productive tool in raising calm children who listen well is by rubbing a little bit of omega-3 fish oil behind the uh, right earlobe. Try it. What's your feeling at that point? Honey, quickly, let's go buy some omega-3. It's not going to mean much to you. If anything, it only feeds into the, uh, the judgment you might already have. However, if you flip this scenario, you're sitting there at the airport. You're trying to keep your kids somewhat normal. And there's this family, everyone's so well behaved. 
and, 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 and serene and calm and the interactions between the mother and the father and the children. I love you, thank you. I look so forward to seeing Saba and Safta. It's just, you're, you're sitting there blown away. How are they able to have such a wonderful relationship for so many hours? And then right before you board the plane, the mother comes over and says, I noticed you were looking at us. I want to tell you something interesting. We tried this a while ago and it's worked wonders. A little omega-3 behind the earlobe really goes a long way. Honey, let's buy some omega-3. What's the difference? It's the same shtus. Right? Either way, I have no idea why that would work, why that would be helpful. How does that make my child more obedient or calm? I don't know. But if it's coming from someone who I look at with admiration and reverence and I respect, and the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, you're living it, you're, 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 you're walking the walk. So then even those things that you do that may seem a little bit strange, you now almost have this exotic wonder. Wow, look at those Yidin walking with dignity with their Lulavim and their Esrogim, dancing as parade to Hashem. It's all in the perception. But that's not based on what we're doing, it's based on who we are. So I think ultimately, as we conclude here, this conversation, we need to be sheltered and we cannot compromise on being strong and very committed to our values and being as careful as possible in not allowing so much of the noise and the clutter from the outside come in and, and penetrate our kadusha, our bias, our teva. We have to stay committed to that goal. On the other hand, we have to live with an awareness that we have a responsibility. Obviously, our main responsibility is for our mishpacha, and that we haven't really spoken about that much. That we'll save for a different Tuesday night discussion. The idea of being makarev and going out and working on our brothers and sisters, right, first and foremost. But to also have that sense of achrayas and responsibility, I'm here to uplift the world. True. It's not about going out and directly preaching and converting. But if I have it in my mind, and I'm working behind the scenes and everything that I'm doing where nobody's looking, being makadeh shem shemayim b'seser, then all of that, that, that genuine commitment to avodas Hashem will very much serve in accomplishing our task of being mamleches kohanim v'goy kadosh. Shkoyach.